In many tech companies, developing and launching innovative technologies moves at a frenetic pace. However, even though development teams see their product as the solution people have been waiting for, many fail to reach their expectations. Even big tech companies are not immune. Product failures like Google Glass, which looked like a weird cyborg eyepiece, was seen by the market as an overpriced gizmo. Despite having incredible technological advancements, they misread the market. But how does this happen? In this episode, we'll hear from Golan Shaked, Chief Commercial Officer at Kiwi.com, whose background in tech marketing and strategy gives him a unique perspective on how technology connects with consumers. Golan is a New York tech alum who worked in traditional advertising and then built a career in technology companies from music streaming to booking travel and even venturing into the metaverse. We'll discuss finding opportunities in crowded markets, using features to differentiate your offering, how observation informs the innovator, and how success can be found by obsessing over providing a positive customer experience. Galan, welcome to our podcast series. Thank you for having me, John. Let's start by telling our audience a little about yourself and how your career led you to focus on the intersection of technology and the end consumer. Okay. I was born and raised in Israel, moved to New York at the early 1990s. I know this was a very long time ago and have actually completed both an undergrad and a graduate degree at the New York Institute of Technology. That my career started in New York, so I've always lived my adult life outside of my, my homeland with traditional advertising agencies moving into more corporate world and found myself working in various international organizations dealing with consumer and technology. On the technology side, you can put this in the context of some of your actual experiences, but it seemed to me that it's all about understanding that consumer preferences, listening to the voice of the consumer is important, building a pricing model, uh, how much can we charge? And I guess that boils down to research and then understanding the use model, how, where, and when the consumer engages with your product. Yeah, I think what you see in many, many companies, especially companies that are technology-led, is that you see founders very much falling in love with the technology solution to a problem. However, many times when reviewing such challenges, the approach is very much focused on technology, know-how, patents, where many, many times what we are missing is the angle of the, the consumer. What value does it bring? How do you package it? How do you price it in a way that actually justifies one product over the alternative in the market? And that's pretty much where I came in throughout my career. I came at that intersection where I was able enough to understand the technology, although I'm not a coder by profession, to really understand what the technology does and what's unique about it and how does it actually change the, the current status quo of any, any product or infrastructure. Then bring in the consumer angle, which is what does it actually mean for the consumers and how do you actually package it in a way that is first understandable to the layman as far as understanding what the, the product is, and then it's marketed in a way that is accessible and also affordable. It was interesting that part of your background, you spent time at a company called Deezer. It's a French music streaming service. When I looked at that, so how does one compete? And I, and I thought in terms of put it in context of the, the blue whale, the largest creature on earth. And that creature survives by consuming one of the smallest creatures in the ocean, krill. And so you've got to have this huge mm -hmm. volume in order to make money. 
So how does a company like Deezer then slip in and find a spot where they can also feed? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and you know, when I, when I joined Deezer, it was quite interesting because I thought my, my biggest competition would be Spotify, and that would probably be my, my only competition. I know that a few months uh, after I had joined, uh, Apple Music and Amazon have launched their own music streaming services, so I found myself competing against three quite gigantic wares with, uh, with various advantages. Yep. Looking into it, I try to understand what made Spotify succeed versus, versus Deezer, and that's actually a very interesting story, because when you look at Spotify, Spotify came from Sweden, a relatively small country in Europe, but their mindset was very much global. From inception, when Spotify came out, their view and their plan was to take over the world and focus on the United States as a primary market to start with, and then venture out to other territories. Either by contrast, even though it was launched around the same time as Spotify, was very much French focused. It's very, very Parisian, very, very cool in, in the French speaking environment and had focused on taking market share in Paris, being number one in that country, and then slowly thinking about potentially expansion in, in Europe. And that pretty much showed me that when you think big and you take first mover advantage like Spotify did in the US, you can really build yourself a, a, a very significant market share. Now, we were 10 years behind and we had now three big competitors what we had to do with Deezer is really find a niche where Deezer can take an advantage over the three big wells. And we had to look at territories or geographies where we felt we had an advantage. We also had to think about the, the music itself, because when you look at music streaming, everyone seems to have the same catalog. You get the music from the music labels. So everyone goes to Warner Music and Universal and Sony and the big ones and gets the catalog. So it's very hard to differentiate your music offering when you are a mainstream service. What we've done with Teaser, we've had to find a way to expand under the radar of the big three, and we've done it by venturing out to territories which were not very much the focus. Latin America, for example, was an emerging market. Uh, the, the marketing spend of the big three was focused on the United States and on Western Europe. So we focused on Brazil, which was an emerging market. We looked at Colombia as a market for us. And we started finding niche markets around the world where Deezer could actually be the first mover despite the competition. We then looked at content as well. And what we discovered was in a country like Brazil, a lot of the young audience that actually consume music streaming is very much into niche types of music. For example, in Brazil, it's actually religious music, which is converted into a pop genre and that is very very popular with that audience that made us sign some contract and deals with uh, music labels that specialize in santanejo which is the, the name of the the genre we opened studio in our offices to bring such artists into the deezer headquarters and we started getting momentum within this young community under the radar of the big three making sure that we get ourselves a name in brazil and from that we use that as a platform to sell our other catalog in the mainstream music. And that allowed us to actually take a very, very significant market share before the competition. So I think the lesson here is, you know, you have to think and you have to take the lessons from the past and see what didn't work. You have to find the niche for your product and you have to be smart about where you where you spend your money. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, what it comes down to is understanding the, the wants, needs and desires of, of the consumer and then curating, whether it's music or anything that fits with that group. And you can survive even as a small operator in some of these huge ecosystems. Absolutely. And on, on that point, we talked about content as a differentiating point. We also did a lot of work on the product offering because, again, when you think about music streaming playlists, I mean, who owns the word playlist? Spotify does because they were the first to introduce it and made it mainstream. Mm. We sat and spent a lot of time with the developers at Deezer thinking of what can differentiate us. How can we not have just another service offering more and more playlists? And we, we came up with this concept, which um, which is pretty much a freestyle radio, which is targeted for the individual user, takes all of your searches, all of your music consumption from the test and studies the pattern, and then starts giving you a combination of music, which is, some of it is music we know you like, because you, told, you already have it in your playlist and your, your loved tracks, but the algorithm will also recommend some new songs that you may want to discover and put it all together into one stream of music, which the user doesn't really know what's coming next. And we named it Flow, because you basically press on Flow and you don't know what's coming. Um, mm. We've taken that feature on the product side and decided to double down on that in order to differentiate. You know, differentiating through a product feature that is, it stands out from the, from the regular playlist. And what we did with Flow, we gave the development team a challenge. We wanted Flow to be able to guess what the user wants to listen to at any given time. Now, this is a very, very mm. tough challenge to meet because the answer is no one really knows. But we were hoping that through a variety of signals that we can get from the user, we would be able to, to actually serve music which is relevant to the context. And I'll give you an example. We know where you're at if you share your location with us on, on the app. We can also know whether you're in motion or whether you're your standing, if we can, we can track the, the gyroscopes of your phone. We also know what time of the day it is. We know what month of the year it is. Um, so we, we can take a lot of touch points when it comes to the user and their pattern and try to understand what's the context that they're listening to the music in. And our mission was to really try and serve the right music at the right time for the customer. And, you know, the challenge is very hard because you press slow, something comes up within two to three seconds, we'd get immediate feedback whether we got that right or wrong and we needed to adjust. Now, we didn't always get it right, obviously. Right. But what we did manage to do is to get users to fall in love with the concept and want to explore flow and want to experience it and talk about it. And we had more and more flow followers at Deezer, people who chose either as a music streaming service because they like the concept of listening to music through the flow experience rather than the traditional playlist. So we managed to build ourselves um, a niche audience, or maybe not a niche, a growing audience mm. of people who fall in love with the concept, with a product concept, and adapt to it. Uh, I'll just give you a stat. When we looked at flow, once we started doubling down on it, the usage of flow was started with only less than 10% of our users Later on, as Flow matured and became center of our differentiation strategy, over uh, 56% of these users have spent most of their time listening to Flow. That's amazing. Look, I'm someone that consumes music all the time, and, and you're absolutely right. I don't listen to the same playlist when I'm working out as I do when I drive, as I do when I'm home. 
I have a certain artist that I like to listen to at home versus being on the treadmill at the gym. So uh, and the next question for you, and since we're on the topic of music, let's talk about this other venture you're involved with, which is called Licked. I find it fascinating because now we're getting into advances in technology from in real life to the metaverse. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm currently serving as the chairman of the board for Licked. Licked is a, is a music startup from the United Kingdom. Very, very ambitious, like, like all startups. And what we are trying to do with Licked is basically provide users with a solution for micro-licensing of, of music rights. And, and let me simplify it for, for our listeners. Say you have a YouTube channel and you use it in order to promote yourself and you're an influencer and you want to use a very, very famous track for your videos because it's known that popular tracks increase the engagement with videos. It is very, very hard for an individual creator today to actually license that music and not to be taken off the platform for violation of music rights. What Lit aims to do is basically fix that ecosystem for the individual creators, which is why we call it micro-licensing. This is where an individual creator does not need to go and speak to every music label at a time. They can register on Lit. They can pay a fee for a track that they want to license. We would then clear that track for them within the social network environment and make sure that they can continue distributing their content and earn revenues on, on advertising, if they're earning, uh, without being taken off by the system for violation of, uh, of rights. So, so a fascinating uh, concept, very, very complex ecosystem. I think what you're referring to, John, is how do we take micro-licensing from social media to the metaverse world, which is where it becomes even more interesting. Yes. And the metaverse is really an interesting concept for us because... You know, everyone speaks about the revenue that you can make from music in, in the real world. We are used to it. We understand how music streaming works. We understand how concert music works. When you're looking at the metaverse, you can actually almost double the, the size of the music industry because we are living in parallel universes. So imagine that I am basically renting a music club in the metaverse. So I can open my own music venue. And what I want is that people visiting my venue in the metaverse would listen to specific tracks of music. That type of music needs to be cleared just as, as much as the one that is on your YouTube channel. Right. And Lick is pioneering the, the process of allowing micro-licensing, even at the metaverse, generating, obviously, revenues for music labels, which is one element. But more importantly, allowing artists to exist not only in the real world, but also in the in the metaverse world. And we might find ourselves in a situation that an artist which, who is not that popular, for example, in the real world, for whatever reasons, can become super popular in the metaverse and right. vice versa. So you can imagine the dynamics now between two types of world all linked to music. Absolutely fascinating. It truly is. What people should understand is that there'll be multiple metaverse yeah. And there are successful ones, uh, I should say, at least in the initial phase, being successful out there of attracting people to go on. It's, it's something that I think time will tell us to what the direction heads in, in terms of how consumers interact with it. Talk a little bit about Kiwi, and that's another business that you, you're currently involved with. And it's the, the online search engine business. 
And one of the things that I found fascinating about it is, first off, it's not a household name here in the U.S. typically, probably more in Europe based on where the company was originally founded. And again, this is one of those things where you look at the technology and then I found it interesting that it does have a bit of a differentiator because it's mentioned that it works on a proprietary algorithm that allows users to combine flights and ground transportation from essentially any carrier in the world. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Kiwi is a travel technology company, which I uh, myself only came by about four years ago. And, and I was fascinated with what they're doing. And therefore, I joined the, the company both as, a, as an investor and also uh, I serve as, a, as an executive on the, on the executive uh, board. What makes Kiwi unique is that they're not a regular online travel agent. They're not even a regular search engine for flights. They're actually a technology company that takes the universe of anything that moves, uh, focusing on planes, but not limited to it at all, and basically dismantling any itinerary that you can think of into individual legs of a journey. Now, by doing that, what you're pretty much doing, you're reassembling flights based on your own choice. And what Kiwi can do for consumers is basically combine airlines that don't necessarily cooperate through a coacher into one itinerary if it saves the customer money. I'll give you an example. You can probably fly round trip from New York to LA with a single carrier and it might cost you a certain amount of money. But if you actually fly only one way with one carrier and the return trip with a different carrier, you might save 30% on that ticket. Now, if you want to do it yourself as a customer, you'll need to figure that one out. You'll need to see who has the cheaper flight. Right. And you need to have two separate bookings with two separate entities and hope that the flight goes well. With Kiwi, we would sell you this as a single booking with one point of contact, which is kiwi.com. We will guarantee any issues that happens in your journey and pretty much allow you as a customer to fly for less because we are able to expose to you various flights and, and transport combinations that are very, very hard to find individually. So when I saw what Kiwi does, I felt that's a real differentiator here when it comes to, to the product offering. However, I also realized that in order for this to work, Kiwi needs to, to have an exceptional customer experience because when you break everything apart and you reassemble it, it usually works. I can tell you that it works more than, than 90% of the time. Hmm. However, when things go wrong, they go terribly wrong. <laughs> and what we, because you are basically combining things that don't necessarily exist for sale. And so you need to be able to provide an exceptional customer experience for those customers who experience difficulties. And when I joined Kiwi, we, they asked me, you know, what would be my, my growth strategy? And, You'd expect some someone with my background to talk about the brand and the marketing and the and the marketing channels and sure. and partnerships and all are true, but my one single point of advice and which is what we are working on right now is make sure that the ten percent of the customers that are having difficulties get exceptional service because you will then get such good word of mouth and such loyalty that you cannot get anywhere else. People measure you when things go wrong. And so unlike my other companies and what you'd expect from the marketeer in the strategy, I actually opted for customer experience for the 10% of cases where things go wrong as a focus area rather than let's just go out there and spend money on marketing. 
I think we're seeing two things happening in this company which are fascinating. First, we are thinking customer, customer-centric, and our customers are witnessing it. Our direct-to-consumer business quadrupled since I've joined the company, and we intend to be much more focused on that. We are still very much focused on Europe, even though we are selling flights worldwide, so mm-hmm. we are still focused on Europe as a key territory, but it will expand. But we are seeing ourselves grow as a direct-to-consumer business. We're seeing our brand evolve as, as a brand that appeals to Generation Next because of the unique itineraries that we provide. And more importantly, we see more and more customers telling us that by doing what we're doing, we are enabling travel, we are allowing them to take on trips that they wouldn't have been able to afford. And in general, I think that when you move people around and they go and expose themselves to new cultures, you just make the world a bit of a better place. So all in all, very, very interesting company. So far, you know, we've talked about this, that the various companies that you're working with are competing in markets where there's often a couple of big players in it already. And that the key here, for I guess, for anybody in the technology business is to define that piece of the market that you want to go after. Drill down. And while, as I mentioned earlier, the metaphor of using a, as a blue whale going out and eating as much krill as possible... No, I'm happy to consume this piece of the market and then grow from there, as opposed to attempting to go after the entire market. What advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs, especially those in the technology sector? I think the most important thing to do in general is to to learn to observe. You know, before coming up with an idea, before starting to work on the blueprint, I think observation is something which we don't tend to do enough of these days. First, because we're busy and we want to action. Secondly, we have a lot of distractions, given the technology that we have in our very own hands and uh, and the distractions it involves. I would first like to say, take the time to observe and analyze and really try to understand what do you see? I mean, do you see an opportunity? Do you see a challenge? So observation, I think, is something which is very, very important. The second thing is, I wouldn't build a product just for the sake of building a product, you know, or, or, or starting something new because it's exciting. I think any person going into any sort of an innovation needs to know what their purpose is, and, and making money is not good enough. Um, it mm-hmm. needs to be something that the founders truly believe in, that they believe it, it solves the problem that actually exists and that they can stand behind it no matter what what happens to their product and the evolution of their product or the market, where that theory of what they stand for still exists. So let me go back again to, to the Kiwi proposition. If you believe that by enabling flight and movement, you are actually bringing people who may have not had a chance to see each other face-to-face and interact, and by doing that, you're actually creating a better world, and that concept needs to prevail throughout, no matter how your product evolves, no matter how your business strategy changes, you still need to stick to that principle of what you believe in. And so my advice to anyone thinking of going and starting their own business is to really observe and then have a concept that you believe in that, that is sustainable throughout product iterations, economy changes, or any business model changes. It's interesting that you want us to observe. And I I think that's a critical point. I guess if someone is coming to you, Galan, and making a pitch, as an example, 
I would think that's something that you're going to want to hear about. What is the problem you're trying to solve? What is your solution for that problem? How big is the problem? And then really drill down and make sure that you're doing your research and your homework before real entering into developing or designing a product. 100%. And another thing for me is the motivation. What is the motivation? Uh, mm. You know, what drives the, the founder? Why do they do what they do? Where is it coming from? Uh, I can tell you that the people who I uh, work with at, at Lict, for example, realize that the, the ecosystem of music clearing rights is so cumbersome. It is very, very hard to navigate the world of music rights. What they really believe in is not we are going to make music rights simple. What they believe in is that music should be universal and free and open as much as possible without taking away the royalties of the artist. So what they're trying to do is to enable music everywhere. That includes, you know, the universe and the metaverse. I think that's a principle that guides them. What they do in order to achieve it is that that's where the business plan comes. That's where the product roadmap comes. So always look at what is the motivation behind any pitch. Really try to understand whether the founders stand behind the principles that will carry them even at the difficult times. Brilliant. Thank you for that. One last question for you, Galan. What one word describes who you are? Ambitious. Ah. I'm very ambitious. That's certainly obvious. You've taken your skill set and applied it in so many fashions, in so many companies, and helped technology embrace the consumer experience as it relates to technology. Thank you for that. I appreciate your time today. Galan, thanks so much. Thank you very much, John. In this episode, Galan talked about the folly of falling in love with the technology you're developing without first understanding the consumer's perspective, like what value does it bring? Or how do you price it that justifies your product over another? Remember that the measurement of success is less about how cool the technology is and more about whether anyone will buy it. At Deezer, he found opportunities for a niche music streaming service by not focusing on where the big three streaming services were dominant players, such as in the United States and Western Europe. Instead, the strategy focused on overlooked geographic areas, such as Latin America, where they could get a first mover advantage. They concentrated on the most popular music genres in countries like Brazil and supported regional artists, which gave them a loyal following. Additionally, they touted the benefit of flow, a feature that uses algorithms to curate content based on your listener profile and context in which you're listening. Users opt in to share information from their smartphone, which can detect motion and location. For example, while driving, working out, or at home. Having popular, unique features will build brand loyalty when competitors push to enter your markets. As chairman of Lyft, a tech startup, Galan is tackling thorny issues related to music licensing in the metaverse. The company identified a complex process that is a stumbling block for developers and provides a solution to ease the burden. At Kiwi.com, he took a customer-centric approach, focusing on the 10% of customers having difficulties with their travel itineraries. His thesis, people measure your performance when things go wrong, so go above and beyond to fix the problem. This will yield positive word-of-mouth advertising about your service and build brand loyalty. For those starting their entrepreneurial journey, Galan stresses the need to observe and analyze what you see as an issue or problem before defining what you're setting out to make. As he said, because we're busy, we want to take action. 
But action without a clearly defined purpose and absent an objective analysis of the opportunity might lead you to develop a product the market doesn't need or want. And the one word that Galan uses to describe himself is ambitious. Ambitious represents a desire and determination to succeed. So whether you're building a career or your own startup, ambition is essential to success. We thank Galan for joining us and for providing his valuable insights. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecca and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The interim dean of the School of Management and executive producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohen. Our marketing and social media strategist is Petra Shantaraga. And our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Professor Ellie Schwartz and Victoria Greco for all their support. Until next time.